The Never Before Project presents the Lethal Faith Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael B. Nye and Blake Harris. This podcast is for students, parents, and church leaders who are interested in keeping their faith strong. Visit us online at neverbefore.tv or on Facebook at The Never Before Project. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Knight, and I'm here with my sidekick, Blake, and I'm kind of excited about the topic we're going to talk about today, and I'd appreciate if you help me get the word out about this. We're going to talk about curriculum. Now, that sounds extremely boring until you really understand the power, Blake, behind it. The word curriculum actually is a root of a Latin word, which means path or course. So curriculum is a way, it's a path to follow. Now, what's problematic for America is that 85% of church members who were formerly unchurched uh, said they were active in Sunday school. 72% of church people said the same thing. So nuns are full of church people. I wonder what that says about biblical illiteracy in America. Is there a problem with curriculum? Is there a problem with the teachers? Is is the problem just skepticism where 35% of them are skeptical in Generation Z about the Christian faith? What do you think it is? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, biblical illiteracy. And uh, I know like we, we were talking yesterday is that, you know, one of the things that's just happening in America right now is because most people don't have a biblical worldview of what's really going on. Four percent of Generation Z has a biblical worldview. You know, and so, and it's because they're illiterate of what the Bible actually teaches. We have taught them a pseudoscience, so to speak, as uh, I believe it's Peter refers to uh, in one of his letters to the church, and. And because of that, they bought the the systems of the world hook, line, and sinker. You know, I never would have thought that a story I heard. I have several friends that are professors in Christian universities. Uh, some of them are Pentecostal charismatic universities. All of them are evangelicals. And one of their uh, one of my friends told me that they ask a general question in college to kids raised in church about the Bible and that they were absolutely shocked at the answers they received back from evangelical kids raised in church. And, you know, um, I'll never forget, they said uh, one part, they had to describe their favorite story in the Bible. And one college student literally said, you know, uh, I think my favorite story is the one about Easter where Jesus comes out of the cave. And in the end, uh, she said, I was waiting for the person to laugh, but they didn't laugh. And it was almost like, you know, a groundhog on Groundhog Day, the way the kid told the story about the resurrection of Jesus. But what's interesting is Gary Burge, a professor at Wheaton College, talks about biblical illiteracy and how it's at a crisis level. And here is scientific uh, proof of the biblical literacy in America right now, those of you are listening. A full 80% of this generation could not place Moses, Adam, David, Solomon, and Abraham in a chronological order. Half of the students could not sequence the following, Moses in Egypt, Isaac's birth, Saul's death, and Judah's exile. 
Now, one-third could not identify Matthew as one of the uh, apostles in the list of New Testament names. And when asked to locate the biblical books supplying a given story like Christmas or Easter, one-third could not find Paul's travel in the book of Acts, and half did not know uh, that the Christmas story was in Matthew. Half did not know the Passover was in Exodus. And if you think that's bad, keep listening, Blake, because a, there was a scientific program uh, called PISA, P-I-S-A, Program for International Student Assessment. And they tested the knowledge of people in 32 industrial countries. 32 industrial countries. And their results came back and said biblical literacy was insidious. That's, that's their term. Wow. And they surveyed 100, and people listen, listen to this. They surveyed 150 freshmen in Christian colleges that were active in an evangelical church, which means that there was some form of highly devote uh, adolescent religious fervor there. And they grew up going to church and they were tested about their biblical knowledge. And here's what some of the answers were. The history of Abraham was founded in the book of Ruth. The Roman persecution was the greatest event described in the Old Testament. The Exodus was the return of the Jews to Palestine after World War II. Wow. I mean, good graces. The Ten Commandments were given to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and some of the wisdom books of the Old Testament are the Book of Acts, Paradise Lost, and Lord of the Flies. <laughs> Genesis was the first gospel. The mother-in-law of Ruth was Mary Magdalene, and her famous great-grandson was Noah. Jesus was baptized in the Red Sea and was betrayed by Samson and died in Bethlehem. Now, you think that's crazy? Well, I don't think it's crazy because you can ask the American people similar questions about the Constitution, and you're going to get the same kind of illiteracy, but yet uh, we won't go the new way. You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it doesn't really surprise me as much um, because I'm just thinking, you know, that there's still people out there that believe that the golden rule is inside the, the scriptures, you know. And, and, and God helps those that help themselves. Yeah. Most quoted Bible verse in America is God helps those that help themselves. And that's not even in the Bible. That's right. Or uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, that yeah. should be in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's almost comical answers, but I mean, it's like, what else do you say when you don't really know? Well, what else do you do? That's the question. In other words, there's definitely a problem with biblical illiteracy, with evangelicals, um, and Pentecostal Charismatics, I would hope, would be higher. It does appear that way through the new findings in the Picasso. Um, there's definitely a problem, however, with biblical literacy. We know that nuns, the kids that have left the church, millennials and Generation Z, were raised in Sunday school. Not necessarily Generation Z, but definitely millennials were raised in Sunday school. And as a matter of fact, we know that that's where doubt began because 39.8% had their first doubts about God in middle school. 43.7% had their first doubts about God in high school. 10.6% had their first doubt about God during college. And when you look, now I've got it right here somewhere, or I did, I might have ran off and left it. When you look at why uh, kids in this country are leaving Christianity, 
one skepticism. So on one part of it, they're being taught the Bible. On the other part, they're not believing what they've been taught. So my question is, does curriculum really matter? And is curriculum really the issue or is apologetics the issue? Yeah, you know, I think curriculum is essentially where it begins. Um, and, and some of it can, is just uh, sometimes a simple way we state things. I, my wife told me several months ago, my wife is a pastor's kid, and she said growing up, she, uh, as a child, uh, kind of assumed that the stories in the Bible were just that. They were just stories. They were kind of like fairy tales. She did not understand until much older that those were real, true events that actually happened. You know, when we talk about curriculum and, and kids being raised in church, believing the Bible like your wife and different people, we have to ask a question because education since the 1800s in America has been driven in the church by Sunday school. And we know that that's driven by literature. What's interesting is the average church in America still has Sunday school for predominant, for the most part, which that's a myth that Sunday school, most churches don't have Sunday school. But most pastors that are young in America create their own curriculum. So there's a real issue there with having quality curriculum that's chronological. And then you take into uh, consideration uh that 86% of new Christians who remained active in the church for at least five years were active in Sunday school. So we know biblical chronological education, whether you call it Sunday school or Wednesday night or whatever is important. But then again, you've got this whole change in before COVID-19 anyway, you have this whole change in nomenclature where it's all about the worship service. If you look at church attendance in the 1800s, the 1900s, the 1950s, even up to the 60s and sometimes the 70s and, and a lot of churches, Sunday school attendance was higher than worship attendance. Now it's about worship attendance and we've done away with chronological education of kids. We are have doing away with teaching our kids uh, the Bible stories and, and, and that kind of stuff in place of a huge children's church with lights and cameras. And we do that at Covenant too. But I just wonder if we haven't got the cart before the horse. You know, that that stat is uh, really surprising to me to, to think that Sunday school was bigger, so to speak, than the actual worship service. I remember when I was a youth pastor out in Kansas that at one point we had even talked about doing away with Sunday school because no one was showing up to it. Well, and there's the point. Parents aren't taking the it seriously about the, more, the religious education of their children. They'll, they'll show up to soccer game on time, soccer practice five times a week, seven times a week. Yeah. But you try to get them to get their kids to, to come to a, a Sunday school class where they get educated in the Word of God. Most of them don't do it. And what's so interesting about Sunday school is when you really look at the numbers of where we are today, church reliance upon Sunday school has remained stable. 19 out of every 20 Protestant churches, which is about 95%, offer a Sunday school in which people receive some form of planned systematic Bible instruction. 
The point is, Blake, like you said, they're not coming. Nearly the same proportion of churches, 97%, offer Sunday school eight years ago. So we've dropped from 97% to 95%. But in terms of Sunday school prior prioritization, the research shows that just one in every seven pastors in America, which is only 15% of pastors in America, consider Sunday school to be their greatest church's highest priority. This represents a significant drop from previous years. 2002, the high point was 22%. Now it's it's 15 percent. And I was talking to a, uh, a leader in a church the other day that's a mega church uh, and uh, very well known. And they were talking about how they had to fire their pastor and how their pastor left and split their church. Uh, and how he behind the scenes did not have biblical character and and I mean some real issues, longevity, not just a bad day. But um, come find out their pastor was committing adultery with someone else uh, in the church. And long story short, um, he was great in the pulpit. He was great um, uh, on Sunday mornings and putting on a show, a program, making sure that every moment was filled and that it was entertainment, for lack of a better word. But when push came to shove, he fooled thousands of people. And the, the problem is, I'm afraid that we have got our real, the way we look at the world wrong. If we're losing our children, we need to really think about why we're losing our children. And part of it is we've learned how to put on a great show on Sunday morning, but nobody knows the Bible. Yeah. We don't expect people to carry the Bible. Uh, we don't, uh, I was in a spirit-filled church recently and asked everybody that had a Bible, hold up your Bible. And I was shocked at how many people didn't even bring a Bible to church. Yeah, you know, the, the, you're right. It is shocking to see how many people don't actually uh, bring a Bible to church. Uh, I know I, I visited a church with a friend of mine uh, the other the other day, and and I remember looking around and thinking, "Am I the only one here with an actual Bible?" Yeah. I mean, I looked around, and, and this is a spirit filled church, and I'm thinking, "All right, you know, they preach the Word of God here." And I look around and no one I could see had their Bible and I was shocked. Well, uh, there's a well-known pastor and I'm grieving about this that's in the news this morning that fell because he was having an adulterous affair. And when I've watched his interviews online and in different places, I've tried to support him because I don't like to be a critical person of other pastors that are winning souls. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. But it come out this morning that he's committing adultery and he's a global well-known pastor, pastors, movie stars and all kinds of stuff. He's been committing adultery and, and not to press the issue, but so many times you've got so many leaders in the body of Christ right now. And the leaders, the pastors themselves do not know the word of God. As a matter of fact, the research says when we ask ourselves, what kind of pastors are likely to prioritize systematic teaching of the Bible in their church, uh, like a Sunday school or a small group with a, a good set of curriculums. The truth is mainline churches are 8% and they lead that. Uh, and there's a whole nother problem with that. But pastors under 40% of age, only 10% of them do. So only 10% of pastors under the 40, 40 years of age actually prioritize systematic Bible study in their congregations. Um, on the other hand, those most likely to strongly emphasize systematic education were African-American congregations. 
37%. Baptist churches, 23%. Pastors who have been leading their churches 20 or more years, because if you've been leading a church 20 or more years like I have, you understand that is the cow that, I mean, that is the, the issue of issues. Yeah. 23% or 21% charismatic Pentecostal churches and congregations with pastors 59 years or older, 21%. But wow. the younger you are and the more main, and this is fascinating, the younger you are, if you're under 40 and you're a senior pastor or the or the if you're mainline which means you are the feeder for nuns agnostics and atheists right. that used to be raised in the church in america they are the ones least likely to encourage systematic uh education yeah uh, man i hate that statistic because like i would fall within that statistic and and man just to think that we're gonna push uh Bible study away and say that we don't need to have a discussion about scriptures and what's really going on inside the scriptures. Uh, I remember like as a teenager going to some people's house and having a Bible study. And, and those are some of my favorite times uh, discussing the word of God. And uh, so that statistic uh, really bothers me a lot. Well, if you are bothered by that, keep listening. Another significant change is that fewer churches are offering Sunday school programs for the youngest and oldest children. And now we're at a 4% worldview amongst Generation Z. This would include adolescents and teenagers. Churches are less likely to offer programming for children under the age of two, dropping 6% since 1997, 79% to 73%. They were also less likely to offer Sunday school programs for children's ages two to five, declining 94% to 88%, as well as junior highs dropping from 93% to 86%, and high school students dropping from 86% to 80%. Now, this may not seem like a substantial drop, George Barna says, but it represents over 20,000 churches, fewer churches in America actually teaching the Bible to their children. The profile of churches was even more astounding, guys. Now, listen to this. The churches most likely to create their own curriculum was actually revealing. The data shows that Buster Pastors uh, 26% and those in the West, 25%. And then still the most common type of elementary age school, Sunday school curriculum people chose were produced by denominations. Let's see, that opens up the real jest here. Is, is all curriculum created equal? No, it is not. Is there a difference in the kind of curriculum you use? Yes. Uh, AIG Answers in Genesis and the American Research Group discovered years ago in a book called, um, I, oh, I forgot the name of it, just a minute, The Lost, uh, well, shoot, uh, uh, Already Gone. Yeah. They discovered in a book called Already uh, Research Already Gone that the real reason was that these kids were being raised in church and they were being taught the Bible, but they didn't believe it because it was being taught like your wife told you right. as stories. And so you had to really begin to look at curriculum and curriculum today that doesn't have apologetic teeth to it is to me almost nailing the, the coffin shut in education with the very few people who actually are allowing education in most denominations, and we're going to pick up on this in the next podcast, most denominations do not write their own curriculum. Church of God, Assemblies of God, 
a bunch of them. They do not. They buy David C. Cook. I know the Church of God has bought David C. Cook since 1920 something. Wow. And it doesn't mean that it's bad literature, but it, a facts are a fact. The Catholics are studying David C. Cook this week. Uh, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Radiant Life, they all buy David C. Cook and they'll put in messages about foot washing or Hot Springs, Arkansas or Barney Creek or, or the Baptism of Holy Spirit. But when when I did a research project for my PhD, I surveyed over 3,700 pieces of Pentecostal charismatic literature. And what I found and discovered was that our literature in the beginning of Pentecostal charismatic movements, especially around uh, in 1904, 1906, Azusa Street forward, that our literature was bombarded by our distinctives. Uh, our literature, the reason we wanted our own publishing houses, the reason we wanted Pathway, the reason we wanted Radiant Life, the reason we wanted uh, 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 Falcon, North Carolina, or uh, excuse me, um, the reason we wanted um, the Advocate originally in uh, the IPHC, the reason we wanted our own Pentecostal publishing houses so that we could print our own literature that was distinctive because Christian literature at that point in time was enormous because of Dr. Francis E. Clark and the Christian Endeavor Association wow. and Young People Baptist Associations and the Methodists and all of those things. That period of time during the explosion of Pentecostalism was the birth of denominational youth ministries, the 1880s, on up until the early 1900s. The world was full of literature that was pointing kids towards distinctives and so Pentecost or towards Christ. And a lot of kids read literature. There wasn't any Snapchat and TikTok and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So literature was a big deal to kids. And then you have Pentecostalism being born. And their first cry was, we got to have our own literature so that we can produce our distinctives. Today, when you compare our literature today to the literature three, uh, of uh, 120 years ago, uh, in the early movements of Pentecostalism, it's not even on the same planet with distinctives. Well, yeah, you're right, because uh, I remember as a youth pastor reading over some of that literature and, and, and thinking, where is the, the power, so to speak, behind, behind this? Where, where do we uh, separate ourselves from what everybody else is teaching? Because it, you're right, it, it, it's all pretty much the same. You know, and like you were saying, well, they might add in, you know, something about foot washing here, or they might add in something about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. But you are absolutely correct. It's all the same. It all sounds the same. And to me, it's very boring. Well, here's what we need to do in the next podcast. And I want you to help share this. Get the word out about the Lethal Faith podcast. We're going to talk about what actually makes great literature. If we're going to stop attrition. And we're going to regain retention. We have to realize why we're losing kids in the American church. And we've got to realize how we're keeping them and what keeps them. And so we know after this podcast that there is a great skepticism from those raised in church who went to Sunday school, who heard the Bible stories through curriculum and decided not to believe them. I'll meet you with Blake right there next time. Go to covenant or excuse me, go to neverbefore.tv and help uh, in the conversation about this podcast. I'd love to know what you think. And I'll uh, uh, personally be one of them that will respond back to you on the dialogue boxes. Hey guys, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe uh, to our podcast. And remember, keep it lethal.
Thanks for listening to the Lethal Faith Podcast, brought to you by the Never Before Project. To find out more about the Never Before Project or be a part of the discussion, visit our website at neverbefore.tv. You can also visit us on Facebook at the Never Before Project. Join us next week for another episode of Lethal Faith.